All right, so I actually have a couple of announcements for you. Kevin just kind of gave the whole spiel of who we are and why we do what we do. I have a couple announcements. The first one is this. Uh, we have baptisms in two weeks from today. Yay! So two weeks from today. Now, baptisms are a time that we gather corporately together to celebrate. So they're at one o'clock. We all gather together. We are going to eat food together. We want you all to come up. There's nothing on your calendar. You should put this on your calendar and come and show up. If it's rainy, we're going to postpone, but I think the rains are done. Uh, Nascimento last week was at 96%. It's a very exciting thing for someone like me. So. <laughs> You may not care, but I am like, I am going to wakeboard all summer. It will be amazing. <laughs> Rather than last year, it's like, I got to turn now or you're going to hit a sandbar. But anyway, uh, so two weeks from now, put it on your, on your calendar. And we, we were going to do, because it's springtime, we were going to do like hot dogs and hamburgers. But the guy who's doing it for us said, hey, it's the same price to do like chicken, beans, and bread. So we're doing chicken, beans, and bread. Okay, so half of you. Someone's like, what? I could have had a hot dog. You still can. It's called Wiener Stencil. They're open every day. You can go down right there. Uh, but what we would like you to do, since we are providing that, if your last name is A through M, you are going to bring what we call a finger-friendly dessert. I just call that cookies, uh, but you can call it whatever you want. Raspberry zingers, Twinkies, whatever kind of resembles a finger, I guess, or a cookie. Uh, if your last name is N through Z, we want you to bring a salad. That could be a pasta salad, a macaroni salad, a regular green salad, a cookie salad, you, whatever you want it to be, you can bring that. So just put it on your calendars. Come and hang out with us as we do baptisms in just two weeks. Uh, the second thing is that we're doing a thing called Element University. Now, Element University, we do these every once in a while. And on Sunday mornings, I typically give you a lot of information. On Element U, I give you like 10 times that amount of information. And it's in order to help us to grow, to understand different things we may not normally think about. And so this Element University we have coming up is going to start on May 4th. Yes, may the 4th be with you. Uh, it's going to start on May 4th. And what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the gospel in culture. And so what I'm going to take the first couple of weeks and we're going to talk about how the church finds itself in the place that it does today, where we're kind of on the outside looking in, wondering what's going on. We're going to spend a couple of weeks in there talking about how we can understand and relate to things in our culture. Because many times if you go to church, you have this view of the world and you think everybody interprets the world the same way you do and they don't. And what we want to do is help you to understand how people see the world and then how to interact with that with a gospel-centered mindset. We will talk about certain issues taking place in the world today, but in the end, we want you all to grow, to come to the place where we see that God has called us to reach those in the culture around us. So those are the two things. Uh, if you are new to Element, welcome to you. There are Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. If you do not own one, you can have one of those. Take it with you. If you forgot one today, you can use one. Uh, we have these notes on the communion tables throughout the room. They look like this. They're only half sheets. And on this side, you're going to get a kind of a recap of what we talk about today. On the bottom, you get the verses that we're going to talk through. On the back side, you get some questions to reflect on what we talk about. On the bottom of that, there is some prayer points because we're going to reflect back to a sermon series we did at the end of 2022 this morning as we kind of walk through this. Uh, if you have a smart device, you can download an app. It is called YouVersion. Uh, once you open YouVersion, it just says Bible. You click on more and then events in YouVersion. We'll come up by your GPS and your smart device and you'll get sermon notes, verses, questions, all that goes with today's message. 
My name is Aaron, but this is Caitlin, and would you stand with her for the reading of God's Word? John 17, 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Let's pray. Father, this morning we ask that you would move us to the place where we understand what it means to glorify you, that we would see a day like today, not just as a special day to get together and come to church, but another day that you have created and given to us. And understanding who you are in your glory would change us and how we live and how we interact, but most importantly, that we would glorify you as we live in the great joy that you provided. Amen. Have a seat. I did that last night, and Annie just totally just shined me on. She's all, whatever. Oh, Evie sent. Gosh. All I get is hate. I understand how this goes. Now, I actually feel like I start every Easter message with the same words. I usually say, this Easter message is going to be different than Easter messages in the past years. But if every Easter message is different, then this Easter message is going to be different. So that means normal. If you know what I'm talking about, I don't know. But it's... At the end of 2022, like I was saying, we did this series on prayer. We spent 13, maybe 14 weeks, depending upon how you look at it, to understand what prayer is and what prayer isn't. And I had the whole time thinking that when we hit Easter of 2023, we would come back and reflect upon that again. Now, what we did in that series is we spent those first eight weeks really talking about what prayer is and prayer isn't. We spent the last five weeks looking at different prayers that people gave in the Old Testament and the New Testament so we could see how people prayed then how that would then relate to us as well. Now, we came up with this definition of prayer. I stole it out of a book by Tim Keller called Prayer, but I kind of modified it just a little bit. And we said this, prayer is a continuing conversation that God has started through His Word and provided by His grace, which eventually becomes a full encounter with Him. So prayer starts with God revealing Himself. It's not something that we go on a vision quest or drop some peyote you're trying to figure out who He is. God must reveal Himself to us or we would never know Him. And that eventually will lead to a relationship that is lived with Him. So during that series, we talked about this thing called the Lord's Prayer. You've probably heard it. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Last night I started doing that and people started chiming along with me. I'm like, okay, that, that's great. But what's funny is that's not the Lord's Prayer. What happens is the disciples, they go to Jesus and they say, teach us how to pray. And so Jesus goes, well, here, and he teaches them a model to pray. So really that is kind of the disciples' prayer. And today I want to talk to you about the actual Lord's Prayer, Jesus' actual prayer. Now it's found in John chapter 17. If you have a Bible, you can open there. If you're going to use one of the ones at Element that's on page 587, and I'm not going to read to you the whole thing, just little bits and pieces, because there's a whole lot to it. And I want to look and show you the way Jesus actually prayed in the most stressful moment of his life. And what you'll see in this is that Jesus, he builds his relationship with God in those moments. And I think understanding that can help us to understand in terms of Easter and how we then can grow closer in relationship to God throughout all of this. 
Now, a little over 100 years ago, there was a study that was done. It's all the way back in 1916. And what they did is they looked at scientists and college graduates and high school graduates and people who didn't graduate. And they discovered that the more educated you were, the less likely you were to be religious. Now, religious, how they define religious. And conversely, the less technologically advanced or the less scientific or the less things that you knew of going through school, the less li or the more likely you were to be religious. And and so they then concluded that the more that society moved forward, the more technologically advanced and scientifically focused that religion and faith would begin to die out. Now you fast forward 106, 107 years, new studies have been done during that whole time. And what they are showing is that as society has become more technologically advanced, more scientific, that religion, faith, and spirituality is more popular than ever. Now, today, instead of being like they saw it about 100 years ago, now it's a free-for-all. Everyone's just like, well, this is what I think God is to me. And we're like, oh, okay, that's, that's wonderful. It's a, just a whole free-for-all day. Every 20 years, about the last 50 or 60 years, you see this increase of people who want to connect to the divine. And this is one of the reasons when we went through the prayer series, we wanted to talk about who God is first. Because if we want to connect with who God is, we have to know who He is. And this is why we said God reveals himself. He is the one who reveals himself through his word, by his spirit, so we can get to know the real God. And so John 17 is a really interesting example of this so that we can be a people who understand better who God is by how Jesus prays. And I want this to show you why Jesus prayed the way that he did, how he prayed the way that he did, and then maybe we can pray that way as well and we can begin to grow. When you get to John 17, you will see that Jesus prays more when he knows the outcome is set. And what I mean by that is a lot of people today will say, if God is sovereign, why do I pray? God's going to do what he's going to do anyway. And yet in those moments, Jesus actually prayed more. Why? Because it's about relationship. We have a tendency to pray when things are in doubt or things are overwhelming in our lives. Like if I said, tomorrow the Backstreet Boys are going to drop a new album with that boy band that's going to melt all of your brains, and God came along and said, yes, this is what's going to happen, you'd be like, well, why pray if it's, if it's going to happen? Well, in John 17, Jesus comes to an event, his death and his resurrection that he has known for a very long time, since the foundation of the world, since time well, before time was time. That's, that's a very long time, if you don't know that. And his desire to pray increases. The thing that typically makes our desire decrease increases his desire to pray. So I'm going to give you three things today. The first one is this. Why did Jesus pray? And then why should we? John 17, 1, where we started, it says, When Jesus had spoken these words, these are the words from John 16, that your sorrow is going to turn to joy. I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to die. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Now, I have a friend who, when I'm writing this message, is trying to get his son into a particular school. And so there's paperwork and, and hoops he has to jump through, financial and otherwise. He is emotionally engaged because he wants his son to go to this particular school. It takes a lot of time and letters for them to even look at his son. They ask some very personal questions like, how much did you spend on your vacation last year? It's like, oh, man, that's, that, that's, that's too close. Uh, what do you believe about Jesus? Has your son been baptized? When and by whom? Oh, Aaron, that doesn't count. You got to find somebody else, right? So he fills this out. 
Now, he, at this point, he didn't know what was going to happen, but imagine the admissions director called him and said, okay, I want you to come into my office and I want to meet you. He'd be like, sweet, that sounds great. He'd drive down there and then he'd show up. Maybe the admissions director says to him, okay, I want to get to know you. So tell me about you and I'll tell you about myself. And my friend would probably say, okay, fine. You know, how does this help my child get into the school though? Imagine this guy says, well, it doesn't. I just want to be friends. And my friend would probably be like, that's not why I sent in all this paperwork to be your friend. Not that that's a bad thing, right? But that's not why I did it. That's not what I was after. Now, this is kind of how you see the contrast between how Jesus prays and how we typically pray. When we pray, our model of prayer is like mailing in the application. God, here's the application. These are the things that I want to do. Jump through all the hoops that you wanted to do for you to give me what I want. When we pray, it's typically because we think we need something. We pray to kind of conform God to our agenda so he knows what's on our hearts. A more blunt way of saying this, because I'm never blunt, is we pray to get God to give us things. When Jesus prays, he prays to know God in things. One writer says this, anything that happens, Jesus says, I want to glorify you in that. Again, our understanding of prayer is like mailing in the application, and that is why we tend to pray less in our minds when we think the outcome is just set. Jesus is constantly praying for relationship. Now, I'm going to show this how this relates to us. Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. Jesus says this, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Sometimes people say, I want to believe in Jesus. And some say, well, he's knocking on the door of your heart. Open the door of your heart and, and he will come in. But that's not what this verse is about. In Revelation 3.20, this is a statement by Jesus to a church, to people who already believe, to Christians. And Jesus says to Christians, I'm standing at the door. Open the door so I can come in and eat with you and you with me. And if he's talking to Christians, he cannot be saying, I want to regenerate your heart because they're already saved. What he is saying is, I want to have fellowship with you. I want to have relationship with you. Back in Jesus' day, to eat with someone was to invite somebody into your life for the purpose of relationship. You become friends. And so when Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock, that is, I want relationship to you, with you. It is, you are already a believer. I have regenerated who you are, but I want relationship. And this is one of the reasons throughout the prayer series, we kept trying to get people to change their minds to what prayer actually is, a deepening of relationship. And in Revelation chapter 3, opening of the door, that's a metaphor for prayer. When we see Jesus come to something as unchangeable, as immutable as his own death, he starts to pray. Because prayer for Jesus is about intimacy with God the Father. Again, many times our purpose in prayer is to get a request in, mail in that application. Jesus wants relationship. Like imagine the admissions director says, your son's not going to get in. We would typically say, well, what's the good of this meeting then? And that's exactly the reason why a lot of us don't pray in hard times. Jesus is saying the purpose of prayer is to open ourselves to who God is. Jesus, who's always in control of everything, always knew what was coming next, prays more and more and more as he sees things coming up that are going to be unchangeable. Tim Keller once likened it and said that we tend to see prayer as medicine where Jesus sees it as food. This is what he said. He says, we see prayer as a vitamin supplement to our strength. Jesus sees it as a whole new diet, a whole new way of living. And so we might pray when things are messed up in our lives or we mess up, but Jesus never messed up and he prays all the time. So why does he pray? For relationship. Even at that moment in his life, the death, the resurrection, Easter, all that, he starts to pray. So why should we pray? For relationship. 
Now that you understand that, let's go to number two, which is this. What did Jesus pray for? And then what should we pray for? John 17, verses three through five. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Now, Jesus will go on. He will pray for certain things. He'll pray for his disciples. He'll pray for us, those who believe after he goes to the Father. He asks for unity. He asks for truth. But where he starts praying is for glory most specifically his glory. Now we have to be careful here because you're not supposed to pray for your glory. That's even though he did that, you, you don't do that. We pray for his glory to be known in the world. Jesus' prayer, Father, make me the savior of the world. This is what's gonna happen right now. You should not pray that prayer. Even if you think you are the savior of the world, don't pray that prayer. You will not die for anyone's sins. You will not rise from the grave as the first fruits. It's already been done by Jesus. So in a specific sense, you don't pray exactly what Jesus did, but in a general sense, we will pray in the same direction. All the great prayers of the Bible that you will see, typically they will look at God and say, God, I wanna know you for who you are. Cause that is when you say, I wanna see your glory. We wanna see God for who he is. They will, in the Bible, you'll see, they'll pray for changes in circumstances and all that. They will ask for power. They will ask for strength, but that's not the first thing they typically ask for. The first thing is, God, I want to see you. Now, I'll show you a couple good examples of this. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23, it is long, but it's one long sentence. So you've got to read the whole thing. This is what the Apostle Paul says. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power towards us who believe, according to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead, <gasps> Easter, and seated Him at, at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. What is that? I'm praying that you understand the glory of God so you would see who Jesus truly is. Two chapters over, Ephesians 3, 14. Paul does this again. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, that's prayer, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit and in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. If you go back to the Old Testament, you will see this happen over and over again. One of the most famous prayers in the Old Testament is this guy named Moses. He's leading God's people on behalf of God. He's got a whole lot of problems. He meets God in this place called Mount Sinai, and he's got like a lot of things he needs. Like the entire nation is homeless. That's, that's a problem right there. Uh, they need bread and water and unity and a whole lot of wisdom. But what does he pray for? Exodus 33, 18, he will say, show me your glory. That's what he prays for. Jesus, at the moment of his death and ultimate resurrection, prays the same thing. Why does he pray that way? Why should we? 
because when we understand God's glory, we will see God as he really is. And when we're in relationship and we see him as he is, that will begin to change us. We should be those who pray to see God's glory. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 says this, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. One translation says it like this, We who gaze on the Lord's glory are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory. The more that we understand who God is, the more that we will begin to reflect who He is when we are in relationship with Him. And I think different translations are good when they go back to the original manuscripts, but they're really good because you get a better idea of what's being said. And here you have that one says gaze, one said behold, because that's a really difficult word to get across. And what it really means is to gaze intently, like you're looking into a mirror. And how you look into a mirror is how you different than how you look into anything else. Like if you looked at the person sitting next to you right now, like you look in a mirror, it would be creepy or they'd get offended or, or something like that. Looking into a mirror, you look in detail. Before you go out in the world, it's like every pore is my hair comes straight, every blemish is something hanging out my nose that needs to be plucked or pulled or wiped. Or what, I gotta, gotta do something about this. Paul says, you look into Jesus, into his glory, as intently as you look into a mirror, you pour over it. That is the essence of how you will start to grow in relationship as you understand his glory. Paul doesn't say, I want you to try really hard to be humble, so try really hard to be humble, because that's religion. He says, you look at Jesus and his glory, who he is. And if we are going to grow in any area, self-control, courage, hope, you look at Jesus, because that's Christianity. Why does he pray? For relationship. What does he pray for? God's glory, to know who God actually is. To gaze at God's glory means that we go deeper than just understanding that God is loving and holy and wise and good. We become gripped by who he is. The word uh, the word here for glory, it means weight or significance. It originally came from a word that referenced somebody who had so, many so much gold and so much jewelry that they were weighted down by that. And it eventually came to mean someone's value or worth. And so what prayer is, is as we pray to God, we want to be weighed down under the weight of His glory of who He is, that we would have God's wisdom and love hit us fully in our unveiled faces. Smack! That's who you are? That's amazing. We want His weight to squish us so we become conformed to the image and likeness of His Son. Here's a great example cookies, okay? Christmas time, people make cookies and they got like the Santa hat or the snowman or the Christmas balls, whatever it is. And the way you put that into the dough is you put pressure into the dough and it conforms the dough into that cookie cutter's image. That's what we want. We want God's weight so strong upon us that we become conformed to his image. And the truth is we are always conforming to the glory of something, to the image of something. This could be your spouse, your job. It could be a group identity. Like I love how teenagers are always going, and this is true for every age. I'm my own person. You know, no one tells me what to do. I'm just, and then you look at them and their friends, they dress the same, they talk the same, they like the same thing. It's like, yeah, you're conforming to the weight of something. But we all are. The older you get, the same thing still happens. You are conforming to the weight of something. I read this really interesting story about an actress named Louise Rayner. And back in 1936 and 1937, she's in her early 20s, and she wins back-to-back -back Academy Awards for Best Actress. And most people have never even heard of her. 
Why? Well, she was signed by MGM, Metro Golden Mayor, and back in those days, the studio owned you. You didn't take the parts you wanted. You took the parts the studio gave you. You talked to the people they wanted you to talk with. You flirted with those they wanted you to flirt with. You even lived with them on MGM grounds in a mansion, but you lived on MGM grounds. And so, Louise Rayner, she shares a mansion with Joan Crawford, and Greta Garbo, and Norma Shearer, and you've probably heard of those people. So the studio says to her, this is where we want you to go, this is what we want you to do, these are the parts we want you to take, and she goes, no, no, I don't wanna do that, and I want some artistic integrity. And after the back and forth, they parted ways, but not before the head of MGM, Louis Mayer, said to her, we made you, we can destroy you, we can kill your life. And she says this, Mr. Mayor, you didn't make me, God made me. And she turns and she walks out. Now, if you look at different biographies of her life, some will say she was a Christian, some will say she wasn't, but we don't know. But it's hard seeing anybody make that profession without understanding who God is. See, the reason you've heard of Greta Garbo, Greta Garbo or Norma Shearer or Joan Crawford is they did not do what Louise Rayner did. Paul says, you will be transformed in your life to whatever is most weighty to you. And if it is not God, it is going to be something else, a person, a money, a lifestyle choice. This is why we pray, God, I don't need my glory to shine. Every time my glory shines, I mess everything up. I need to see your glory. And I'm not trying to sound all dramatic or anything, but the failures in our life and most of our problems is because something's coming along and it's saying, I made you. And we are saying back, oh yes, you made me. I need to bow to whatever you are. We need to say, you didn't make me, Jesus made me. That's what we need to say. I have his love and acceptance. We want God's spirit to come in, reveal the glory of God. So it crushes us with God's glory. And Jesus shows the purpose of prayer is that. Before we pray about circumstances and fears and resentments, we want to pray for the glory of God. Not that we don't pray about all those other things. I am not saying when problems come, you don't go on vacation or talk to your friends or something like that. But that's not the main thing we need because it's never the main thing that we need. And this is why it should never be the main thing we pray for. What's the main thing that we need? to be in a relationship with God and understand His glory, His weight, who He is. So we'll be transformed into His likeness. And you know the best way we see God's glory, how it's displayed? In the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the best way that we see it, Jesus' death and resurrection. Third thing is this, why and how do we begin to pray this way? Well, we pray this way because again, when we get a true glimpse of God's glory, it changes us. How could it not? How could it not? Resurrection changes us. We get to live in freedom from all that happens around us, from all of the other pressures. And we can say, no, you didn't make me. You're all pressured on me, but you didn't make me. I don't have to bow to this. I can live in freedom and life. See, prayer is not a meditation technique, and some people think it is. Praying, we want to see and understand God's glory. And again, that will only happen by looking at the gospel first, the definitive act of God coming and rescuing and saving us, Jesus' death and resurrection. In the Old Testament, nobody could take all of God's glory at once. If it showed up, it would just scorch people where they stood. Uh, Tim Keller says it like this. It'd be like trying to pour the Atlantic Ocean into a thimble. It just couldn't happen. And it's why when Moses in the Old Testament prays, God, show me your glory, God's response is not, okay. God says, I'll show you my goodness because God is good. Because if if God showed Moses all of his glory, Moses would be torched right where he stood. And so God takes Moses, puts him into a cleft of a rock, and he passes by. And it says Moses got to see the backside of God. And that's really kind of like a Jewish euphemism for saying Moses saw the place where God just was. 
Now, you fast forward to the New Testament. Here's the crazy thing. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. Paul says, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The thing that would have scorched Moses to a crisp, we get to see when we look at Jesus Christ. We get to see the glory of God. John 17, Jesus is praying. He says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Why does he come to earth? Because we as a people decided to live for our own glory, to try to be our own savior, to live under our own weight. We still do this today. We are still doing this. And as a result, our relationship with God is broken. Our relationship with one another is broken. Our relationship with creation itself becomes broken. And the only way for that to be restored is for Jesus to come, lay down his glory, and then pick it up again. We, you, we, at Christmas, we call this the incarnation. Jesus comes in the flesh. He becomes mortal. But he grows into a man. He lives this sinless life that we never did. And he will go to the cross and he'll be stripped as our sins are laid upon him. On the cross, he is cut off. He takes the penalty for us. But he didn't just die. He rose. And he offers them new life to us when we believe. In his prayer, Jesus knows this will happen. In John 17, 24, he says this, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. Do you know what that means? We don't fully know what that means, okay? <laughs> we don't. So if you ever read the Bible, you're like, I don't know what that means. It's okay. A lot of us don't know fully. But part of that, what it means, is that we will understand and see him for who he is that they would see my glory, that they would understand who I am. That happens by stepping into relationship with God himself through the death and the resurrection of Jesus, by trusting him where God shows his ultimate weight, his ultimate glory. Guys, we live in a world today that is putting so much pressure on everybody to be conformed to its likeness. And if you disagree in any way, you get canceled. It's like, here is the weight upon you. You must look like this. And we, it, we will only be able to stand against that when our trust and our hope and our faith is in Jesus Christ. When we say, these things didn't made me, make me, you're pressuring me this direction. God made me. And I'm going to trust what he says over everything else in my life. We get to look fully in the face of Jesus. That's where we see God's glory. And that's what transforms us. Christianity is not getting help to get you through your life. It's not mailing in the application. Pure Christianity means we get to live for a whole new purpose. So what does this look like? Prayer. It's about relationship. Secondly, it's about looking at God's glory, who He is. And third, that means we get to live the fullness of life that God is redeeming us into because of the gospel. Jesus' death and ultimate resurrection of what we celebrate at Easter. What that means for us, that means new life for every single one of us who believe and walk with Him. And this is the beauty of what Easter is. Because we serve not just someone who came and died. We love Jesus who died and rose for every single one of us. And we put our hope and our faith in him because he is the one that made us. He is the one that redeems us. He is the one that draws us to himself because he's good. And again, like I said, we are all conforming ourselves to the weight of something. And only Jesus is the one who sets us free from all of that, as we want God to conform us more to the image and the likeness of his son. And this is one of the reasons, like even today, we're going to invite you to the place of communion, where you can come and take communion, you break that cracker like Christ's body is broken for us. 
You can dip that in the wine or the grape juice. That reminds us of Jesus' blood that was shed for you and me so that we can be a people who understand that God redeemed and rescued us from all of the weight, all of the sin, all of the ick that the world wants to throw on us and sets us free to be a people who can love and worship and follow and serve him. Because this is, this is the beauty, the beauty of when we get to things like Easter, that all the culmination of everything that God talked about and promised through all those Old Testament scriptures, it comes to fulfillment in what we celebrate today. But we have to understand that it came to fulfillment 2,000 years ago. We just celebrate it today. And that means every single day of our life, we get to live in freedom. We get to live under the weight of God's glory, of the one who truly made us and calls us into new life. We get to live in the grace that God gives us. And if you need prayer this morning, maybe you are living under the weight of something that you feel like it is just crushing you and you don't know what to do with that. Right across the way in the lounge, there's gonna be a couple people there to pray. You can go during the music. You can go after service. You can ask a couple questions. We'd love to sit down and pray with you and talk about who Jesus is and why Easter and resurrection is not about bunnies pooping out eggs. It's about Jesus who rose from the grave. This is... <laughs> no. I don't even like eggs, so whatever. <laughs> but this is why we come and we celebrate. We worship who Jesus is because that means we get to live in renewed life and freedom. I mean, we, Jesus will say when he, when he speaks about his wake, take my burden upon you. My yoke is easy. My burden is light because this is what we were made for. It's not a heaviness that weighs us down. It's a... It's a it's this yoke that's laid upon us that sets us free to live in new life. And if you want someone to pray with you, we'd love to be able to pray with you. Uh, Element is also a church that, yes, we, we survive by how people give to us, but we don't pass a plate. It's always a response to what God has done in our lives. And if you would like to give, there's offering boxes around the room. You can give online, but we don't pass a plate because, again, it's a response. When we see and understand the generosity of God, it changes us and how we begin to live. And so I'd encourage you to grab those sermon notes, take those questions, maybe sit down today or this week with family, friends, if you're in a gospel community, with your gospel community, and talk about the things in your life that tend to put so much weight upon you that you start to conform to rather than simply walking and resting in who God has called you to be as he restores us to himself. Let's be a people who surrender all that we are to all that he is as his weight and his glory comes and changes and renews us. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we thank you for being able to be in a place where we can gather and celebrate your resurrection. Because yes, you died in our place, in our stead, for our sin. You take our sin upon yourself and you give us, you impute to us your righteousness. But then you also give us life because you rose from the grave. So you take our death and you give us life and you bring us to life again so we can step into relationship with you. And I, first and foremost, before we pray about anything else, pray that you would reveal to us your glory, your weight, who you are, and that that would begin to change who we are as you conform us to the image and likeness of Christ. And that would be such a sweet freedom 
as we step and walk into that, as you lead us and guide us and grow us. Father, it's so easy to be a people who start to think about mailing in the application. And not that we don't ask for things, but I ask that your spirit would remind us to first ask to see who you are, because even in the asking for other things, that will bring such great hope, knowing who you are and that you have always been on a rescue mission for your people and that you call us to yourself and we get to live in the great freedom that you have bestowed upon us. So today, we thank you for resurrection. We thank you for life. Teach us to be a people who live out our lives in this world in ways that reflect the goodness of who you are and the new life that we received. And we ask this in your son's good name. Amen. As Brian closes the curtains, I just want you to take a moment, maybe during this first song, and just ask God, what in your life are you letting have weight? What are you conforming to? And a lot of times that could be what things irritate you, what things drive you nuts that you spend so much time thinking about that you stop thinking about the weight and the glory of who God is. Say, God, just show me that. And be open to what he says. Realize that. And then lay that before him and say, God, instead of that, show me your glory. Teach me to live under your weight the grace that you have bestowed because you are good. Not because I'm so good, but because you are. And then come and take communion when God leads you to. Sing some songs. We will head out of this place on an Easter Sunday and everything's closed, so what are you going to do? So hang out with some family and friends and remember and maybe talk about today the weight and the glory of God.